This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Tara Carter from Clovis, New Mexico. And I'm Lindsay Fitch from Boulder, Colorado. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 24th, episode 2398. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good morning! It's Thursday. Let's kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. Your presence is required on the command deck. Well, thank you for joining us on the fourth Tuesday of the month. You can find us on www.horsesinthemorning.com. Look for Carter Ranch Horse Western Day icon in the middle of the page to find our past episodes. And Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm doing really great. How about you, Tara? Doing well. Uh, I don't feel like a whole lot has changed, but I know a lot has changed. So uh, we're kind of keeping on but really enjoying some of the downtime and some of the pressure of not keeping up with the rat race i guess so right what all have you guys been up to this last month since we talked to you last uh well before all before all of covid we had a group of students come into clovis and uh, they come from utah they come every year they make the trek and this was our first time to actually be able to welcome them to like the new portion of our facility so we had an old Quonset hut that, you know, was hay storage, et cetera. Well, we turned part of that into a tack room and built some new pins. And so it was really fun. They've been coming for five years. And this time it felt like they had a really special place to come to on top of it already being a special place to welcome them to. So that was pretty fun. Uh, and then I think they went and saw you next. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, uh, that same group went home to Utah and I went out there and visited my friend who is kind of, she's like their instructor there. And, um, she's one of my best friends and I'm going to be in her wedding. So we did some wedding activities and then she was really nice and had me co-teach with her some there. And I got to work with a few of the same people. So that was kind of funny. Like they, I think I flew into Utah as they were pulling in from, their second day home driving home from Clovis. So that was, that was fun to get to do that. Yeah. Cool. And so now what are you, what are you doing to keep busy in the meantime? Well, uh, we're doing a lot of staying at home, so that's nice. So we're getting to just do house projects, projects here on our own property, uh, working with all of our horses here. And then actually this week I'm set up to do some nannying for a close friend who's a small animal veterinarian who's having to work full time during this. And then her husband is also uh, a big time construction project manager and he's still on full time work. So um, their, their nanny is self quarantining. And so they were in a bind and so I'm going to babysit their little seven-month-old all week. So in addition to all that, so that'll be kind of fun. 
What about you yeah. guys? Uh, well, we were supposed to go to a bunch of shows. I think we were actually supposed to head to Las Vegas this week for the Stallion Stakes, and so that has been postponed. So we really don't have any major events coming up. So it's just really nice to be here and be able to keep going with all the horses. I was talking to a friend earlier this morning and we were saying that, yeah, we're either all going to show up with our horses really well trained for the big show at the end of the year, or we're all going to be like, oh, wow, we really needed to get these guys to town more. (laughs) So uh, we'll just see how it all goes. But uh, it's been nice to be able to, to just, I don't know, have the downtime. So Sometimes it makes you think, well, maybe we should schedule these breaks in here more in between. But funny enough, we run, we actually do an online portion of our coaching and training, and we do it with an equine adoption program uh, called the Forever Foundation. And so it actually it actually has more activity right now because uh, everyone's able to spend more time going through their learning and complete their challenges and all of that. So that part has been it's been nice to have the extra time to commit to the extra activity. So, and we're thinking about opening it up to some others too. So hopefully we'll have more on that coming up, but that's kind of what we've been doing. It seems like more of the same, but uh, it just has a little bit different feel to it. Yep. Certainly does just enjoying the downtime and all of the little things maybe that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis kind of have a whole new meaning, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I have not homeschooled, though, uh, yet. So technically, the kids, I feel like I should confess, I think. <laughs> so, the, so my kids, they have two different spring breaks because we're in two different school systems. And so the boys' school was supposed to be on spring break. Um, and we were even supposed to go skiing, but the, the mountain clothes and all of that. So we really have extra time at home. Uh, but so I've not put the pressure on myself to add homeschooling to the mix of all of that uh, because we technically were just supposed to be on spring break. So I might be throwing a little bit of that in this week, uh, but they've been helping clean pens. And uh, so it's actually been, they've been getting a different version of education, I should say. So, yeah, that's right. A, a different version, but still just as valuable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on today's show, uh, we're actually going to talk about some of the ways that we are moving forward and adapting to the change. We're going to talk with um, Elizabeth Lawhorn from APHA, and she's going to tell us about the e-show that they've just launched. And this is, this is not a light undertaking. So uh, it's definitely apparent that APHA has been working on this and they've made an effort to make it available to everyone of all breeds much sooner than they than they originally planned. And uh, we're going to talk to Michelle Cannon, who is, one of the leading breeders and kind of kind of new and upcoming uh, in in the rain cow horse cutting and reining world. So we're eager to hear from Michelle Cannon during breeding season. And then we'll continue on with our bridle up segments with Trevor Carter. This time we're starting to dive into the hackamore, which actually you don't want to do. You don't want your horse diving in the hackamore, but we're at least going to talk about it. <laughs> It's time for the bridle up segment where we're currently going through each of the stages of the Vaquero bridle horse tradition, the snaffle, the hackamore, the two rein and the bridle. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse and training tips for using and progressing with each. We've just wrapped up the whole series on the snaffle. And so today we're going to talk with Trevor about the form and the function of the hackamore. So thanks for joining us, Trevor. You bet. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about 
the hackamore? I mean, you've told us a little bit about the overall history, but you may want to recap some of that. But we really just want to talk about the form and function of the hackamore and why it is a stage in the training progression. Well, early on, you know, snapple was very rarely, if ever, used um, in the in the breaking of a horse. The hackamore was actually the halter. It was the tool that was used to halter break the horses, and then which led to riding the horse in the hackamore. So, you know, there's there's a lot of books out there. There's a a really nice book, Hackamore Rangeman by Ed Canal. Uh, you can read up on that, and that's a really good book uh, to get a few more. Um, details on this, but you know it was a early and easy transition uh, to just be out of the horse's mouth because the horse was obviously wild; they were trying to tame it, and so therefore having the hackamore helped educate the horse to where they were riding it. And so, what the hackamore is, it, it, and I don't want to confuse a hackamore with a mechanical hackamore. Mechanical hackamore, um, it, it's uh, it's a different tool. I'm talking about a rawhide hackamore, a hackamore that, you know, is out around the horse's nose. It has enough space underneath the horse's jaw, um, and it's usually made out of rawhide. And there's other materials. You can make one out of latigo. You can make it out of kangaroo, um, depending on, you know, the style or what you're around. Um, but the, the, the nice thing about a hackamore, if, if you all think of riding in a snapple, you know, pulls on the corners of the horse's mouth. Um, the the snapple is, for the most part, a direct rein. It's a give to pressure. So if I pull on the right rein, it it pulls on the right side of the horse's mouth. The horse pulls to the pressure. With the hackamore, if you put your uh, middle fingers and your thumbs together as it goes around your nose and your chin, you know, if you pull on the right rein, the the right side of the hackamore actually rotates open. And the left side of the hackamore collapses on the horse's nose, so it closes on the nose. So the hackamore is a is a move from pressure, move away from pressure. And the the tricky thing with a hackamore is it's a it's a tool that helps the rider have better hands. And that, that I'm sure if I could have a dollar for the amount of times y'all probably talked about the use of your hands on this radio show. Uh, is probably going to pay quite a bit because we're all always talking about it doesn't matter the tool, it matters the hands. It doesn't matter the rider's education, it matters the hand. So what, I, what I'm talking about, when you transition from a snapple to a hackamore, the hackamore tool really helps the rider have feedback of how their hands are using it. If you hold pressure too long on the hackamore, the horse is going to push against it. The hackamore is going to use its, it's going to lose its, uh, details on how it's going to work. So what the hackamore helps us learn is some rhythmic pressure. So you can put slight little tugs, slight little bumps on the hackamore, and that helps educate the horse to keep the horse nice and soft. So that's just a little little tidbit on the hackamore. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of times I hear the term bosal, hackamore. What's the difference? Same, different, related? So... Bosal is the actual material that goes around the horse's nose. The hackamore is the actual setup of the headgear and the rein. So, you know, if people, if people are going to sell you a bosal, uh, it's just the actual piece. And so, you know, I, I enjoy the word basel. It, it's bosal. And you want to think of how can I 
go pick out nice equipment. How can, what do I know the difference between a good versus a, a not so good quality? It's just a matter of getting out and feeling it and looking at it and getting yourself around it. So anytime there's a, a Bosal, go check it out because they're all made out of different materials and they have different feels. So, um, just go get your hands on one. Okay. So I've, I've always heard of it as the Bosal is the piece. And then when you put the reins on it, that is the Hackamore. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the difference between a side pull and a hackamore? You bet. So what a side pull does is it's got a pull from the side. So some side pulls, um, they just go around the bridge of the horse's nose and they don't, it, like it's, the circumference is quite smaller than a bosal. So when I look at a, a side pull, think of like a cavison with reins on it. And so what this allows the horse to do, you know, it allows y'all to talk to the horse outside of the horse's mouth, but there there's lacking a leverage component. So when I think of a side pull with it being that tight around the horse, when you pull the right rein, you are, you are just pulling the, the left side of the side pull. And then when you go to back up, the horse is feeling that just on the, the bridge of their nose, whereas the hackamore is quite a bit longer. So a hackamore usually in length is anywhere from 10 and a half to uh, 12 inches. So it's quite long. And so your reins attach underneath the horse's chin. And the nice thing about a hackamore is it has a signal. Whereas the, the side pull Lindsay, it, it, it rests on the horse's nose. The hackamore does the same thing. It rests on the horse's nose, but also it hangs off of the horse's chin. So when you pull on the rein, uh, the horse can feel the hackamore engage on the bridge nose and then from underneath on the chin. And so that's where you get the, the rhythmic pressure effect. The horse has the opportunity to feel the hackamore lift up, engage on the nose, engage on the chin, and then here comes the pressure. Whereas the the side pull, it's already there in close contact. So what I like to have with my tools and my horses, I like to give them some time to figure out some pressure. And so uh, it, it's just a, it's a delayed action of pressure, which gives my horse that opportunity to figure out the response before full pressure comes on. So side pulls just, they're, they're like a cavison with reins on. I want to use a hackamore. It's going to help, uh, start introducing my horse to to chin pressure so when i ride in a leverage bridle they're starting to get used to working with pressure coming from underneath their chin and is that reason right there what you ended on is that why the hackamore comes after the snaffle as opposed to before can you tell us a little bit about why it's the in-between progression between the snaffle and the bridle you bet I and mean, i tell people go snaffle then hackamore so that you get to know the horse because when I told Tara, the hackamore really helps the rider understand their hands. Um, a lot of us, when we ride, we ride with our elbows close to our hips and we pull back to our belts. If you do that in a hackamore, Lindsay, the, the horse is going to have a, a confused signal. And so with the hackamore, it helps us extend our elbows and and pull our reins out to the side and so if if i just pull the right rein straight back in a hackamore to me 
my horse doesn't know if I'm asking for a turn, for a backup, and it can be quite confusing. So the the use of your hands can really help your horse understand. So when I with the progression, I tell folks, go snaffle, hackamore, so that you get to know how your horse responds to pressure. Because if, if somebody just went out and got a horse and they've never ridden it, but then they also never used a hackamore, and they go to put the two and two together, geez, it could be quite confusing for the horse and the rider. So, um, but once people get familiar with the hackamore and you know how to place your hands and you know how to help your horse, if your horse gets a little concerned, um, then I challenge a lot of folks to go and, and just start in the hackamore. Cause that, that, like I said, that's how the hackamore uh, was born. It was used as a halter training tool. And then that's what the tool that I had when they got on the horse's back. And what about, what about the psychology of a horse that's, trained in the snaffle, trained in the bridle? Like, is there, is there a different mental skill set that comes from being able, I mean, like physically, okay, there's a, like you said, a yield to and a yield from pressure, right? But is there any sort of psychological difference that you notice or feel when you're taking a horse through the series? You bet. And so by going from the snaffle to the hackamore, I, I've ridden my horse in the snaffle numerous times i know how my horse responds to pressure i know what i I, my horse has shown me what his responsibilities are either it be a flexion either it being a maneuver responsibility and so when i transition to the hackamore i want to see if the maneuvers are either solid or it, it gives me a chance to see if my horse truly understood what i taught him in a snaffle but the hackamore and the snaffle have so much similarities in that we use two reins to help them that you can capitalize on teaching similar maneuvers with a similar tool. So you want to think like learning a new language, like everybody, you may not know Spanish, but you know, gracias, you may not know Spanish, but you know what agua is. And so by having these familiar words, you can start to learn a new language, even though the same subjects, uh, the subjects can be similar. So that's what I think of by transitioning from the snaffle into the hackamore. It really gives me a gauge on how well my horse is progressing. If I can get all the maneuvers done in two different types of tools, then I, then I know my horse is understanding what I'm asking. One of the reasons I asked that question is I've heard that when you ride a horse in a hackamore, one of the values of riding a horse in the hackamore is that it helps them develop the skill set of hunting the middle, like you would want mm-hmm. them to hunt the line on a pattern or something like that. So can you just kind of help explain, if you agree with that, if you explain that as a skill set and as an important function of why you would choose a hackamore as a part of your progression? You bet. So when I think of the snaffle, I always think of the requirement I want my horse to learn is to is to put slack in the rein. So if I pull back with both reins, I want the horse to not only give to my hands, uh, but put effort in giving me slack and backing up. And and sometimes that might be a hard thing to picture. Um, so the education, the snaffle, I I capitalize it with slack. I want the horse to give me slack. In the hackamore, it, it's I want my horse ready, and so how the hackamore hangs on the the head of the horse, you know, it's it's floating. It, it's so if I were to pick up on the hackamore, 
my horse should already understand, put slack in the reins, give the rider slack. Uh, but more importantly, it, it's like a hula hoop around the nose. Wherever, wherever that hackamore takes the nose, I want that nose to move with it and away from it. And so it, I always think of like a hot potato. Like, I mean, I love sports and I love engaging and playing. And, and so if there's a game where I have to be ready to catch something but then get rid of it quickly – that's my mentality when I think of a good hackamore horse. They feel the pressure. They move from it. They're ready for the next uh, response. So it's not that I want my horse scared of a hackamore, but hunting that middle, wherever the hackamore moves, I want my horse to put the slack in it so that that hackamore hangs on the horse's mouth, without, or hanging on the horse's head without any pressure. So I, a hackamore horse is super sensitive. They're ultra light, and they're looking to put slack in that rein. So hunting the middle, wherever that hackamore takes them, they slide and they glide right into it. Well, great. That was really helpful, Trevor. Thank you so much. Uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. where you are going to share some tips on what you look for when selecting a hackamore. But if folks have questions for you in the meantime, how would they find out about you? So you can go to carterranchhorse.com and, you know, look us up and send us questions if you have them. Uh, because I always enjoy asking or answering questions tools and, and where to find you know quality gear and how to get people started they say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him but a great rider can hear his horse whisper the years he's given me nobility without conceit friendship without envy beauty without vanity a loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper. For more information on the complete line of horseware turnouts, including Rambo, Rhino, and Amigo, visit horseware.com or ask your local retailer or online supplier for more information on horseware.com. Well, for our In the Industry segment, it's breeding season. So we're joined today by Michelle Cannon of Cannon Quarter Horses whose program is Making Headlines, most notably at the recent Celebration of Champions, where a Cannon Quarter Horse pretty much walked away with a top honor in just about every division. So thank you very much for joining us this morning, Michelle. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. So where are you joining us from? I am in uh, Waxahachie, Texas this morning. And is, where is that kind of when you look at Texas for people who know, are you right in the middle or top, left, right? It's North Texas, about um, 30 minutes south of Dallas and about an hour south of Fort Worth. So, so for most people who have seen any part of uh, Rain Cow Horse events, I feel like most notably recently people have seen They've heard of and seen a video of Shiny Outlaw. And so, you know, that's kind of where we're going to head today, Michelle, when we talk about some of the things. But 
Could you just first tell us a little bit about how you got started in horses? You know, um, I've been interested in horses since I was very, very little. My mom always made a comment that she made a mistake of putting me on one of those little horses on springs. And, and she said, that's all I ever said after that was horsey, horsey, horsey. <laughs> um, and so I've ridden all my life. Um, and, you know, I used to uh, start all the two-year-olds and everything. And then as a teenager, I started breeding. And that kind of was a bug that bit and just grew stronger all the time. It never you know, I never got away from that. I always wanted to breed something better and and um, see what I could do to match the sire in the dam to improve conformational flaws or speed or, you know, whatever agility and things that would make the horse better. So you say you got into breeding as a teenager. I don't feel like that's something you hear very often. So... Uh, if anything, people kind of take a sabbatical when they're a teenager. So how did that come about? Well, I had um, a pretty rank little horse that I was riding, and the horseshoer I had tried to convince my parents that I needed a better horse. And so when I went and looked, um, he was going to sell me a mare that he had that had been a brood mare. But... And my parents allowed me to take my money out of my savings to buy the horse. And the agreement was that um, I would breed that mare to one of his stallions. And when the baby was born, the baby had to be sold to help pay the money back to my savings. Well, needless to say, the first baby was born and I couldn't part with her. So (laughs) I went to work for him, (laughs) painting fences, cleaning stalls, weed eating, whatever I could do to... um, make enough money to breed the mare back again. And then I sold that colt, you know, to pay back my savings. And so the mare that I um, bred and raised, you know, I broke her and trained her and, and, uh, you know, I kept her till the day she died at 32 years old. Mm. So from there, it just kept growing, you know, the, the want to breed and and see what the baby was going to be. It doesn't seem to me very often that that someone who makes the selections for the breedings and then is is also the one to start the horse and help develop the horse. So uh, that seems to me that that might be a certain unique perspective that you bring to the table, or or is that customary? You know, I don't think that's typically are very customary in the industry. Um, You know, I have always been very, very hands-on from breeding the mare to foaling the baby to putting the halter on the first time. And, And so I guess that does give me a different perspective because from the minute the baby's born and then the next day teaching it to lead, I can see right away, you know, how willing is that foal, how um, responsive is that full? How easily does it give to pressure? And sometimes you can see different stallions' foals um, do respond differently. Yeah. I would actually, I actually wanted to ask you, you know, what do you look for when you're selecting your mares? But really, it's kind of what is it that you're looking for in the offspring that helps you determine what you're looking for in the parents? So, 
you know, kind of what are some of your highest priorities when you're thinking about the results of the offspring as far as what you're looking to breed for? You know, in the, in the um, range cow horse, they have to be so versatile. I mean, you've got to have something that's going to have a lot of um, natural cow. And so that's why we a lot of times look to the cutting bread mares and such that we're putting on our stallions. Um, you know, Shiner's Nickel was the foundation of the program that I started. And he brought a lot of the agility, the flexibility, the um, softness into it. And so a lot of times when I'm adding the mare, I look for the cow. And um, a lot of times we use the dual ray mares when breeding to him because it adds a lot of grit and stamina. Um, But then again, as we've taken his um, daughters and we're now starting to breed some of those, you know, we go back and look again at which direction we want to go with that foal. And um, then we start looking at stallions in the industry that we think might help get us there, whether they're cutting stallions or cow horse stallion or what. And then when the foals are born, what I'm looking for is to see how did that cross work? Does the foal still have the softness and the feel that we're putting in with Shiner's Nickel or Shiny Outlaw, um, even though we've added another stallion back. So a lot of that, when the babies are born, that's what I'm looking for is softness, feel, um, expression. How is that Mm -hmm. foal reacting when we walk in the stall? Is he coming to us? Does he want to be friendly with us? Um, And then when we watch him outside and playing and things, how's he responding to things around him is he alert is he not missing anything around him and and um you know how does he respond to those or or avoid things that you know might be a uh, cause him injury or something that how does he spook at something or respond to it mm-hmm. a lot of times when breeders when they go to select the cross that they're going to select Sometimes earnings of the mare are important, or pro, you know the produce record of the of the mare is important, or the eye appeal, or the bloodlines. And sometimes I feel like they're those are personal decisions or business decisions. How do you balance that, or or how do you choose what you place your importance on? You know, when I go to look at a mare. Um, if I'm going to go out and buy a mare, yes, one of the things that I'm going to look for first is, does she have a record? Has she been a performer or is she already a producer? I'm going to look at her um, pedigree. Is her pedigree something that I think is going to cross on my stallions and be a compliment to my stallions? I'm going to look at her confirmation. And her confirmation has to be correct because I can look at all of the other things. I can look at her produce record. I can look at her pedigree and they can be immaculate. But if her confirmation is not, then, you know, that's a mare that we don't need to be adding to the program to breed. 
Um, so yes, that is very important. But on the other hand, I think that there are a lot of mayors out there that have had something happen to them, an injury early in their career that prevented them from being a um, big money earner. And so sometimes you have to take a look at those mayors as well. Look at what their pedigree is. What have their sire and dam done? What has the grand dam done? Is there a produce, is there a, a produce record and performance record on that dam side as well? And a lot of those mares can be just as valuable. Yeah. I love what you said about how Shiner's Nickel is the foundation of your program. And there are things that you loved about him, agility, flexibility, softness. And now it's a matter of finding the right mares that complement that. Can you tell us a little bit about Shiner's Nickel and how that is the foundation of your program? Um, yes, I um I purchased Shiner's Nickel in 2008 as a two-year-old, and in 2009, he was um, reserve champion at the Snafflebit Futurity. Um, he had a very short-lived career as he, um, as a five-year-old, was found dead in his stall um, at the NRBC in uh, 2011. So it really cut his career short, but he was really an up and comer. I mean, he had won about 110,000 at that point, and um, we had just made a change in trainers, and he had come back from a layoff um, and came back stronger and healthier, and and really had started to win again. And his first foals were just hitting the ground, um, and we have seen that those foals have just been tremendous. I mean, they're Every one of them has been so willing, so trainable, so soft. Um, the trainers have loved them. And, um, you know, it was just a very unfortunate situation. So the few that we have, we very much treasure. Um, you know, they've been superstars. And I feel like that Shiner's Nichols blood is going to be carried on through his daughter's and obviously through Shiny Outlaw. And so then Shiny Outlaw is a son of Shiner's Nickel, and who is the dam for Shiny Outlaw? Shiny Outlaw's dam is Morata by Dual Ray out of Morata, Missy. Yeah. And you still have that mare and have siblings to Shiny Outlaw, is that right? That is correct. I do. <laughs> I have um, several siblings to Shiny Outlaw, um, and some are very, very similar. Some are, some of them look like the Mareda and, um, you know, are very different. Um, but they all exhibit a lot of the same characteristics that he does. Um, it's really interesting to look at some of them and, and them have the same eye that he has or give you the same look that he gives you and things like that. I was going to tell you, um, Mareda has been pretty amazing mayor in that she also has, um, is the dam of some pretty good money earners in the um, NCHA as well, in the cutting as well.
Can you tell us a little bit about when Shiny Outlaw was first fold and how you were telling us how you can like see in the folds when you halter them or when you handle them and when you watch them in their environment there at your facility? Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw in him as a foal and then what he's also been able to, I guess, confirm in his career with all of his accolades and his winnings? Yes. Um, you know, he was kind of funny as a foal and the recipient mare that he was born to had very little milk. And so we were working on her, um, trying to stimulate milk production in her and get more milk. And, and because of it, you know, he was a little bit sickly in the beginning. And I would have to doctor him a couple of times a day. And he was just pretty obnoxious about it. And um, that's (laughs) where he came about the name outlaw because going around and around with him one day, I just, I called, I told him, I said, you're just nothing but a little outlaw. (laughs) And so that's where his name came from. But, you know, after we got through all the doctoring and everything, he was um, very, very, very gritty. He didn't take much to discipline him. He would try to push the boundaries, um, you know, but we would have a little discussion about some of that, and then he'd be fine. He he understood. He wanted to please you, but he was always one that wanted to kind of test the waters. And as a weanling and then as a yearling, um, we would watch him in the pasture and two-time duel another colt that I raised and he would go round and round in the pasture just horse playing and nipping and the two of them looked like a whirlwind going across the pasture and I used to make the comment I said I swear they could stand on top of a five gallon bucket and go round and round and round and so we (laughs) knew that he had tremendous athletic ability it was just going to be a matter of getting the right person that could harness that and direct it where it needed to go And we look back now, and it's kind of funny to think back about that because both Shiny Outlaw and Two-Time Duel have become superstars. And when you're you're paying attention, you can see see where it can go. Mm -hmm. Now, you've also raised some other amazing performers. Uh, One of the most recent at Celebration of – another of the champions at Celebration of Champions was Sparktillion. Can you tell us a little bit about Sparktillion? Arctillion's a pretty amazing mare. Um, I actually was able to get her um, as a two-year-old, and she was originally started to be a rainer. And when I purchased her from Cottonwood Springs, I sent her directly home with the reining trainer that I was using at the time. And after he had had her for about a month, month and a half, he called me and just told me, he says, you know, I don't like this mare. She doesn't <laughs> like to rain. She just mad at the world every day. And it was kind of funny because Zane Davis was training our cow horses at the time. And Zane had told me from the day that I bought her that he wanted her. And so I called Zane and said, Hey, you know, he just says he doesn't like this mare that she's mad at the world. And um, Zane was getting ready to come to the NCHA maturity um, sales. And so he told me, he says, when I get down there, um, let's go up and and go look at her. So he came with the trailer and we went and we immediately loaded Sparktillion and brought her back and Zane took her straight to Idaho. 
And in January of Sparktillion's three-year-old year was the first time that she saw a cow. And Zane called me with video right away of Sparktillion lowering herself and trying to work the cow her very first time. (laughs) And she has just been crazy about cow ever since. So I, I guess I had thought you had raised Sparktillion, but you have several offspring from Sparktillion. Now, are any of show age yet? Um, there are a couple that are of show age. I'm not sure where they are, but I do know that um, she has a metallic cat three-year-old who's in training with Monty Bruce, um, who will be coming to the NRCHA fraternity this year, um, and a two-year-old in training with Jay McLaughlin, both of them by Metallic Cat, and both trainers are very, very excited about them. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that it's always <clears throat> it's always fun to go to the futurity and know some of the horses, uh, but it's really fun to be able to see you know, have seen Sparktillion compete in the world's greatest horseman events. And then to know that her offspring are coming up, it just, as you start to get to know the competitors and then you get to know the horses and the breeders, it's really fun to be able to kind of know where they're coming from and, and see where they might be headed. Um, so kind of where, where is Cannon Quarter Horses headed? Where, what, what are we going to see from you in the next five to 10 years? You know, I can't, I, I hope I can answer that. I hope you're going to see a lot of them in the winner's circle, um, <laughs> both in the NCHA and the NRCHA. Um, you know, we still do have a few that occasionally go to the reigning as well. Um, and we have started um, shipping horses worldwide now. Um, we have some that just recently left and went to Costa Rica. So, With all of that, you know, I'm hoping in in shiny outlaws foals being born in Europe and in Canada and Australia and South America, I'm hoping you're going to start seeing those names all across the world. Um, But here at home, I I really feel strongly that you'll see a lot of them um, hopefully in the winner's circle at both the NRCHA and the NCHA events. Yeah. As you, when you look back about when you first started breeding, did you ever, did you always have goals or did you have goals of being at this level as a breeder or was it just, oh, I'll just see if I could do it a little bit different or better next time or a little bit different, better next time? Or did you always have this supreme goal in mind? You know, when I first started breeding, I was just kind of breeding ranch horses and then I wanted to breed ranch horses for color. And as that progressed, and then it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, these stud fees can really be a handful. And so that's when I went looking for a stallion and found Shiner's Nickel. After I got him home, I kind of went, oh, my goodness, I have some of the best ranch mares in the world, but doggone, they're not quite what he needs, you know. (laughs) And so that was when the quest for some mares began. and. I started adding the mares and, you know, I kind of, I would admire other breeders and their success and what they were doing. And, you know, I, I guess in the back of my mind, I always thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to be one of these great breeders? 
But I can't say that I honestly ever thought that we would get to this level. Do you have any mentors along the way or have you just sort of been self-taught and self-studied? You know, pretty much been self-taught. Um, I've spent a lot of time um, working next to Dr. Ritholler at Weatherford Equine, um, listening, learning, watching. Um, and I, I guess the majority of it, as far as matching the mares and the stallions, has been more on my own. Just what I like in some of the stallions that I'm seeing, you know, competition-wise, confirmation-wise, and then, you know, matching the pedigrees with some of my, either my mares or, or my stallions. So it was really cool to me um, when I walked by, we were at Celebration of Champions, and I walked by Jay McLaughlin's stall area. We were talking to Trail right after he had won the the youth portion, Trail Townsend. And I look over and we're looking at these three trophies lined up for the different bridal horse classes. And a friend of ours, Diana, she said, so I guess if you want a bridal horse, you should just go to Cannon Quarter Horses <laughs> because there were all of the awards. There were all of the awards that your horses from your program had won. So uh, congratulations to you because that's a huge accomplishment as a breeder and knowing how to match the right horse with the right trainer and get them to the right shows. And uh, I just think it's also impressive to me that it wasn't just in the open divisions. Your horses walked away with awards in the open divisions, the limited open divisions, the non-pro, the youth, just really impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, all I can say is, you know, it's an honor to be able to breed that caliber of horses and raise that caliber of horses. And, you know, I owe a lot to the trainers that have got them that far and the trainers and the vets that have kept them healthy and, and sound through all of it. Um, but, yes, it's, it's very, it's such a huge honor and, it, and it's so humbling too. But from Sparktillion to Shiny Outlaw, Shiner's Little Nickel, Little Shiny Long Legs, all to watch all of them here in the last couple of years get their Supreme Rain Cow Horse Awards, and that has been really exciting. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about that, what the Supreme or Superior Rain Cow Horse is, the, that award? Or Supreme, the sorry. Supreme Rain Cow Horse. Yeah, the Supreme Rain Cow Horse is the highest award that a cow horse can get. And it signifies that they have come up through the ranks of the working cow horse and that they have gone through all of the different bridle and headgear, um, the bits, and, and progressed through all of them, all the way from the snaffle to the hackamore, to the two-rein, and then on to the bridle. And they have to have won so much money in, in each of those four headgear. And so it just really signifies their strength, their longevity, and, and how they've made it through all of that and been a performer and a winner through all of it. Day, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your experience and your wisdom. Well, thank you. 
And now our own Dr. Wendy Ying speaks with Roger from Greenflower Botanicals in a series we call CBD Oil 101. Today, we're going to do CBD Oil 101. So, Roger, what is CBD oil and how can it benefit us? Uh, first of all, CBD is a cannabinoid that we find in hemp as well as in marijuana plants. And so hemp and marijuana are kind of sister plants. And we extract that out of the hemp plant. And it is one of about 100 different cannabinoids that are found in these plants. And each of these cannabinoids have some type of medicinal benefit. CBD especially carries just a tremendous amount of medicinal benefits. If you're familiar with the medical marijuana movement, CBD is actually the cannabinoid that's responsible for most of the medicinal benefits coming out of the, the medical marijuana movement. But the difference is it, unlike THC, which is a, probably the most famous cannabinoid people are familiar with, uh, it does not get you high. It has no intoxicating properties to it. And because we're able to extract it out of hemp, it's federally legal and and legal in all states. And what kind of conditions can we use CBD oil for in both people and animals? Well, CBD actually can be used for a host of things. Some of the most popular ones are anxiety, it's an anti-inflammatory, it's an analgesic, so it's wonderful for uh, combating pain. It is antioxidant, uh, and it's also good for nausea and things of that, so very soothing to the stomach. But again, probably the lion's share of people that are purchasing it are coming at it for to relieve pain or anxiety in their horses or their animals. For for dogs, it's wonderful for separation anxiety or they get upset with storms, um, joint uh, issues, stomach issues, um, things like that. For, for horses, a lot of people are using it for arena anxiety and helping the animal learn more. So there's really so much um, that CBD oil can do. Well, we're going to continue this conversation about CBD oil in weeks to come. So, Roger, how can people find Greenflower and your products? Uh, Very easy. Uh, You can go right to the website, which is greenflowerbotanicals.com. All of our products are there, and also we have a special coupon code for our HRN listeners. So once you're at checkout and you see the area for the coupon, just put in HRN, and uh, that'll give you 20% off any of our products. If you show your horses, please check with your federation on the legal use of CBD oil. In our Learning and Discipline segment, we're all adapting to a new way of doing things these days. So we're joined today by Elizabeth Lawhorn, the Performance Development Director at the American Paint Horse Association, to talk to us about e-shows. So good morning, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about the e-shows. Have you, just tell us in general what what is going on. Sure, yeah. So, this was a project that we were uh, going to launch later this year. Uh, We always had the idea of adding a virtual show element to the things that we offer at APHA. Uh, But with everything going on in our world right now, we thought that Maybe this is something that people would want, especially right now when they're stuck at home. They see their pretty ponies sitting out in the pasture, getting fat and sassy and can't go to any shows because everything's getting canceled. 
Um, and so this gives people a way uh, to still work with their horses and have goals that they're working towards and be kind of competitive um, in an environment where we can't really do that right now. Um, but aside from that reason that we decided to launch it now, um, since we're an international uh, organization, we have some areas that uh, were kind of new in some other countries that might not have as strong of a following. Um, and so we wanted to be able to give those international people a chance to have more uh, time to compete and ways to practice because there's some countries where they might not only have but one APHA show that they could go to throughout the year. So we wanted to give them a chance to do something um, throughout the year as well. Um, and then of course you have people that for whatever reason, can't travel with their horse. Um, maybe they're just getting back into showing and they're not as comfortable uh, going to a show and showing against people in person yet, um, or they're rehabbing their horse coming back from not riding much. So we felt that this was something that would appeal to a lot of different groups and was definitely needed. Well, I commend a APHA because I feel like you guys are such a progressive organization. Uh, uh, you came out with the Ranch Work Championships, which uh, uh -huh. we actually participated in and had a blast. Um, yeah. Then you guys were one of the first to say, hey, because of COVID, we're going to waive the qualification requirements. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you can come to the show, come to the show. And then yeah. you were the first to put these e-shows out. And I was thinking, okay, they, they've been working on this because you don't just launch this overnight with what it takes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you sped up a lot of things just to get it. We did. To come <laughs> as early yeah, as you did. Yeah. But, so, so tell us, is this only for paint horses or is this for all breeds? It is for all breeds. We decided to open it up to everyone, um, just kind of in light of everything going on. And because we realized that we're the first ones to offer this to anyone. So we didn't want to just limit it to only paint horses. So right now it's open to all breeds. You can have a great horse. You don't have to be registered with anyone. Uh, you just have to be a an APHA member. So you yourself need to have a membership with us. That way we can just record, um, be able to record any winnings that you get. Um, and for international, we're able to credit their account because changing currencies is mm, difficult. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, that's okay. it. Okay. So step one, I've got to be an APHA member, but my horse can be any breed, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then step two is I pick a pattern? I pick a sport? I pick a, what do I do next? Right. So right now we're offering this month, we're offering nine classes. We're offering halter, hot seat equitation, hunter under saddle, lunge line, ranch reining, ranch riding, showmanship, western horsemanship, western pleasure, and I forgot to mention we actually are offering 10 classes. We added cutting because we saw a huge interest uh, in people uh, submitting cutting to us. So we were like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, so you can go onto our webpage for eShows. It's APHA.com slash showing slash eShows. So slash eShows. 
And then you just, you can look on the page. We have instructions on how to enter. You're able to enter any of these classes. It takes you to our retail site where you're able to add any, any and all of the classes to your cart that you want to, as well as a membership if you don't already have one. Once you do that, you're able to go back to this page and download any patterns that we're using for the month or for your rail classes or halter. We have specifications on how we'd like you, to, you to submit the video so that we have a little bit of consistency in what people are sending us uh, once we send it on to our judge. And so once the uh, day cutoff happens, which I think this time it's April 6th, so that gives y'all a couple weekends to get your videos shot, or if you're in quarantine, you can do it anytime. Um, then you can submit it to us through the upload video button, and then it'll come to me, and I will collect them all and send them off to our judge. Judge them all. And then the coolest thing about this, I think, is that you're able to not only get judged and uh, maybe get some paybacks, but each uh, entry gets their own uh, personal private crit critiques from the judge. So it's kind of like not only getting to compete and maybe win some money back, but you're also able to get um, a lot of really great feedback uh, that you might not always get when you go and show your horse. So it's kind of like getting a clinic too. Yeah, that's super. So Elizabeth, how did you... Are you the one that's kind of heading all of this into existence or tell us about your role in in this e-show and at APHA? Sure. sure, yeah. So I actually just started in January. I just graduated with my master's from A&M in equine marketing uh, last December. So this is a pretty new position for me, but I have hit the ground running and um, it actually came from, uh, it was the first thought of it was coming from Dave Dellen. He is my boss mm -hmm. and he is the director of judges and education and shows. And he had been thinking about offering something like this for a while. And this was going to be this year's kind of big project. And because of everything going on, we decided, you know what, we need to, we need to offer this. People need this. Uh, they need something to do, something to take their mind off of everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, so, yeah, but uh, I have been able to be a big part of figuring out the logistics of how something like this works, because there's a lot of moving pieces, as you can imagine, uh, especially once we launched it and we saw such a great uh, feedback from it on Facebook and social media. I've gotten so many great emails. People are very, very excited. Uh, so we know that it's going to be a big deal. And there's a lot of logistics that we have to figure out to make sure that we're able to deliver everything. So have you have any, do you have any entries yet? We do. We got our first entry over the weekend in Lunge Line. And it's great, and I am very excited. I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so we, we're we excited. We're, we've got a group of people. We're going to get together. We're going to put our entries. We're not actually going to have a big group of people, right, like the people that we work with, just to clarify. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> so anyway, we were looking at the patterns and stuff. And so one of the things that I thought was neat is, okay, here's the pattern. 
But you also say, you know, like when you go in and do a pattern, you know, this cone is here or this marker is here. But on the pattern, you indicated where the camera goes. So the whole right. idea is that that's kind of helps you with some of this consistency that you were talking about. So the judge, right. so, you know, when he watches, even though everybody's going to be in a different arena and a different size, the vantage point should technically still be the same. Right, yeah. And we put on there um, some general approximate measurements of about how big the patterns should be because um, we realized that there's people who ride in pastures that don't have an arena or there's people that have a very small covered arena that might not be able to accommodate a larger pattern. So we kind of understood that everybody's home situation is very different. And so as long as you're able to get as close as possible to those kind of approximate specifications, you're able to ride wherever it is that you normally safely ride uh, and submit your video. So it doesn't matter where you're at. You don't have to have an arena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes <laughs> when you're starting out, you don't have an arena. So do right. you have judges? do you have the judges lined up or are you going to wait and see how many entries? How are you picking about That's, your judges? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to figure out kind of since this is the first go of it, we're going to see what the initial response is and that's kind of when we're going to figure out okay how many how many judges do we need are we going to divvy it all up or how exactly we're going to do do this um yeah and then we'll go from there <laughs> and depending on how well this one goes i think the from what i read on your website i think you said this one closes on april uh is it first or is there six. a different time april six oh the six at 5 p.m and so then will you guys do another one later in the year where, it, you know, you reopen entries for another several weeks, like from May to June, and then yes. continue to do different segments? Yes. Yeah. And we're looking at doing this a bunch of times throughout the year. I'm not sure if it's going to be monthly yet or if it's going to be less than that. But I think the idea is that we would do it kind of continuously throughout the year um, and kind of changing up the classes that we offer once we kind of figure out what's most popular for people, what do they want to compete in. I've had people, a lot of people ask about uh, walk trot classes because we have uh, walk trot divisions in APHA and a lot of the other breed uh, associations. And so We'll probably start adding some of those. We've had some interest in speed classes and um, some over fences too, which I'm very excited about because I grew up doing hunter jumpers. So I was super excited to get those emails. Uh, so once we kind of figure out what people are wanting, we'll figure out how we can translate it into an e-show and pump it out. That's so cool. And are you all going to do something where you post like highlighted entries just of like the different breeds that are coming in or even just like the different scenery? I just mm -hmm. think that that would be so interesting to be on the receiving end where you all are in your office of all the different cool places or horses that are coming in, or I guess even like mules and ponies might even yeah, be honoring. right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I just imagine that'll be a fun part of this uh, experience and story that you all are building. Yeah, yeah. Right now we're kind of figuring out what exactly our results are going to look like. I think we're looking at posting 
all of the results of how everybody placed on our webpage. Um, of course, it's going to be uh, private so that you'll just have your back number um, so that all of your critiques and everything that just gets emailed to you, you'll get your number and then you'll be able to find your number on the results listing. Um, and then I believe we're looking at thinking of trying to, we have to get permission to use videos. And so that's where we're kind of figuring out what we're going to do, how we're going to get that permission, if we're able to post those videos. So there's kind of some logistics that we have to work around on what we're able to do. But we would love to do something like that because I, I can imagine that the the variation of things that we're going to get in is going to be really cool to see. And I'm pretty excited to just get to see all of it before I send it off to our judges and just get to see what all people people are sending us. Yeah, I think that'll just be super, super neat to be able to offer that. Uh, just like how some museums and parks and different things are doing virtual tours. It's kind of like a yeah. virtual tour of the horse show almost. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, when you said that you were excited to hear some of the Hunter Jumper entries come in, is that is that your background? Yes. Yes, it is. And how did you get started in horses? Sure. So, I actually, it was... My mom got me started. I am from Sugarland, Texas, which is southwest of Houston. So it's a pr pretty urban area. But um, she got me involved in horses. She took me out to a riding stable, and the rest was history. I started riding when I was seven uh, at a hunter-jumper barn and started showing and competing. My mom was an awesome support system. She... Um, was an awesome show mom. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then I decided that I wanted to go to A&M and become, uh, I thought that, of course, like any horse girl, wanted to become a vet. Um, and then at some point I decided that wasn't really quite in my deck of cards, but I wanted to do something in the horse world because uh, growing up as a youth in the horse world, it gave so much to me, gave me so much confidence. Um, I had done FFA horse judging through high school, so I got that whole experience. And so I ended up going to A&M for animal science, doing an emphasis in equine science, and was part of the judging team that got me connected to who would be my, uh, who was my judging coach, who would end up being my major professor and my master's. And that's when I interned at APHA and then ended up being able to get a position here. Oh, that's super. So yeah, you've, you've got a lot of great experience on both sides of that too. That's, that's wonderful to be able to help mm -hmm. kind of navigate the challenges for a judge and then navigate the challenges for a competitor plus someone who's, um, yeah. has some experience with the inner workings of APHA. So yeah, I can yeah. see why your email is on the question section. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So, so just to recap for everybody, um, if they're interested in participating in one of these shows, in one of the e-shows, you go to APHA.com slash showing slash e-shows. And then from there, you'll be able to sign up and do your membership and pick all of your classes. So again, you can have any breed, but you don't have to have, uh, you don't, but you don't, but you just have to have an APHA membership for you. And then you get your patterns, you film it you upload it, 
And then you wait to hear back from the judge. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that are going to happen. One, you're going to get feedback on your run. And two, mm-hmm. you may get a paycheck. And so if you want to learn more about the payout and how that whole system works, there's the whole spreadsheet breakdown at the bottom of the page at APHA. And you can just calculate all your earnings if to your heart's content <laughs> while you wait. So. Right? Is that, does that sound about right? That is perfect. Yes. Okay. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about the show. And I hope that uh, maybe on the next show, we could have you come back and talk about how it all went or maybe even interview a couple of folks that competed. So yeah, that would be awesome. Sounds like fun. Great. Well, thanks and good luck. Thank you for joining us on today's show. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach out via our website, carterranchhorse.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to contact me, you can go to the Horses in the Morning website and hit the contact button. You can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also listen on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Speaking of iTunes, don't forget to rate and review your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews help others find the shows. Thank you to our sponsors, Horseware and Greenflower Botanicals. We can't wait to see you guys next time.